Thanks to Audible and the new Audible Original Power Moves for supporting industry focus. Power Moves by Adam Grant is available and you can get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash full power. That's all one word. Or text full power to 500 500. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Wednesday, February the 13th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones. I'm joined via Skype by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how are you? It's been a crazy week, Shannon. I tell you, my, my son slipped in the snow. We've got lots of snow here in New Hampshire, which was rare. It hasn't been very snowy at all this winter. And uh, sure enough, he slipped and broke his arm. So I've been running around the last 24 hours uh, helping him get himself all settled in. So it's been a little it's been a little crazy. Been a little hectic in the Campbell household for sure. I certainly hope he feels better. That's a, a terrible thing to do. I've slipped on the ice before. Uh, thankfully, I didn't break anything, although I felt like I broke my my entire pelvis when I did, but it was okay. So I understand how it feels, but but glad he is on the mend. I'm even more excited for uh, this week, Todd, because it's been a bit since we've actually done like a good just news roundup. And there has been really, I guess, no shortage of interesting news that has come out in the healthcare space. Uh, really excited to talk about the uh, stories and headlines we've been seeing lately. And today's show is going to be a great reminder to biotech investors that you know, frustrating flops are pretty common, and they can pose a very big risk, so they should not be underestimated. Yeah, first up, disappointing study results came out from biotech giant Gilead Sciences. That's ticker symbol G-I-L-D this week. Todd, yet another black eye for a company that's had a, a rough couple of years and has really been desperate for some good news, especially drugs that could help drive growth, because they've been in need of growth for some time. Before we get into what the study data that they read out this week, Todd, all focus for Gilead has really been on a market called NASH. NASH has been, and really 2019 has been dubbed the year of NASH. Todd, tell us why NASH is such an important therapeutic indication for Gilead and really just for the industry as a whole. All right. So that it might be helpful just to give the listeners just a little bit of background on Gilead in case they're new to the story. Gilead revolutionized the treatment for hepatitis C with the launch of a drug called Savaldi in 2014, followed that up with a couple other important launches. Really just, you know, crazy, crazy effective new therapies that um, were used by patients to, to, to achieve functional cures. And as a result, sales went through the roof. I mean, I think at one point, just from the hepatitis C drugs alone, they were bringing like $20 billion run rate uh, in sales. As more competition has come into that space and as um, prices have come down for Gilead's drugs and more people have been treated and cured of that disease, the sales have really been falling. And they haven't been able to offset those falling sales with growth out of their traditional HIV drug franchise. One way that they were hoping to be able to kickstart themselves back to growth 
was by developing drugs for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, uh, which is another liver disease, which is fast becoming a major cause of liver transplant. NASH, uh, liver disease, is due to consuming a high-calorie diet and living a relatively sedentary lifestyle. So it's obviously getting more and more prevalent within Western economies, especially. In healthy people, Shannon, the liver contains less than 5% fat. But as fat content in the liver increases, you get inflammation that can lead to scarring or fibrosis. Um, And as that fibrosis gets more widespread, that can, you know, create the risk of liver failure and a need for liver transplant. Millions of people are thought to have NASH. There is no FDA approved treatment for it yet. And Gilead is really... uh up until this point, really in the lead to be a front runner into the NASH market with their drug, Solonsertib. Um, and so they were able to put out phase three study results, their stellar trials. And speaking of the trial, uh, here's what they read out. And, and here's uh, what I think is so terrible about the story. So 900 patients were randomized to receive one or two doses of the drug or placebo once a day. After 48 weeks, and this was of a 240-week planned trial, by the way. Gilead did check to see how many participants had actually experienced an improvement in fibrosis without the worsening of NASH. So of the 354 patients who took the higher dose of Solonsertib, 14.4% experienced improvement compared to 12.8% in the placebo arm and 12.5% in the lower dose cohort. What all that means is that really neither dose actually statistically outperformed the control. And actually, the lower dose did much worse. Todd really doesn't get much worse than that when you're talking about a phase three trial. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole there's not much to look at on this and and feel encouraged uh, and there's some important lines or connect the dots that we have to do following this. We'll get to that in a second. It's also the the data that we just saw out of the phase three, it's a good reminder not to put too much emphasis on phase two or mid-stage data because oftentimes as you know you get longer treatment periods that are being evaluated in phase three um, and you get more people enrolled in studies, you know, phase two data does not repeat in phase three. And that's pretty much what we saw here. If you look at the mid-stage studies that they had done, 43% of the patients in the mid-stage study saw at least a one-stage improvement in their fibrosis. That's obviously very different than the readout that we got at the 48-week mark, the mid-stage study. Uh, That look was at 24 weeks. So again, good reminder to everybody not to draw too many um, conclusions exiting mid-stage studies when, you know, considering how phase three studies may play out. One of the biggest things that investors ought to know about this is that Solonsertib is kind of like a backbone therapy for other trials that Gilead Sciences is conducting in NASH. The hope was that Solonsertib would be uh, would have data that would be good enough to support an FDA approval of it as a standalone monotherapy in NASH, and that other trials that are ongoing that are using Solonsertib alongside some other Gilead Sciences drugs, those would then read out trial data uh, that, that, that was 
positive later on. Um, and then, you know, you would migrate from, say, the monotherapy like they did with, you know, in hepatitis C where they had Savaldi and then they had, you know, two drugs combined together to make Carvoni. And then they had, though that, that was kind of the, the way that they were approaching here for NASH. With Salonsertib epically coming up short here in this trial, it does cast a significant amount of, drug, uh, of doubt on what we may see in those future um, combination drug trials. Yeah, so all hope isn't necessarily lost here. As you mentioned, you've got the combination studies. And also, too, it sounds like they're going to be evaluating this drug in earlier stage patients. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But, I mean, right on their heels, Todd, you're talking about competition coming. Probably the most notable, especially since this disappointing uh, data just came out, is probably Intercept. What can you tell us about Intercept? Yeah. So Intercept already has a drug on the market called Ocaliva. They're researching that in NASH with data that's fast approaching. That should be coming out you know, within the next couple months, uh, if not sooner. Once that data is out, theoretically, they could apply um, for FDA approval or a label expansion for Ocaliva for NASH. That would give them the first mover advantage that you know, Gilead had hoped to achieve. There are also other drugs in development in phase three trials that are likely to read out data over the next 12 to 18 months. One at Matagril, symbol there is MDGL, and another at Viking, VKTX is the symbol there. Genfit, a French company, also has a phase three trial underway. So there is a tremendous amount of activity because this is a mega multi-billion dollar potential market. Um, and, you know, Gilead now has to go back to the end of the line, if you will, in, in you know, seeing where when they might be able to, to launch their NASH drug. Yeah, so you've got a market with competition. I went and looked. You've got right now maybe over 30 drug candidates currently in trials for NASH. Um, So I don't think that this paints a black eye for this space in general. Um, In particular, I do think some of the other competitors that you mentioned, not only do they have uh, different mechanisms of action compared to Gilead's drug, but also, too, I think even a more favorable study design and endpoint selection, which could actually work out in their favor. So a lot to look forward to here. All I can say, Todd, is when uh, the new CEO, that's uh, Daniel O'Day, formerly of Roche, takes the reins of Gilead come March the 1st, he'll have a lot on his hands to sift through and figure out the way forward. Well, and the other thing, too, investors ought to keep an eye on is, you know, that big cash balance that Gilead Sciences has. You know, with a, if, if, if now they're a little bit more concerned about their NASH drug uh, in, drugs in their pipeline, maybe they'd take a look at acquiring a company like a Viking or, or something like that to, if they really, really want to make sure that they're a big player in this syndication. Yeah, so lots to look forward to with Gilead. We'll have to, to wait and see. But in other news, uh, earlier this month, we had yet another gene editing setback, Todd. Uh, this time, the bad news came the way of Sangamo Therapeutics. That's ticker symbol SGMO. Um, I should note, when we talk about gene editing, Sangamo does use a different approach than the CRISPR gene editing that probably many of our listeners have become um, all too familiar with. So we've got a different approach, but nonetheless, Todd, still kind of a black eye for the whole gene editing space in general. What happened here? Yeah, Sangamo has been working on something called zinc figure nu- nuclease gene editing since the 1990s. And uh, unfortunately, its its laboratory dustbins are filled with failed trials. Um, you know, they reported out data uh, very recently from a trial evaluating uh, one of their gene editing therapies, MPS, um, in MPS-1, which is a, um, 
um, lysomal storage disorder where basically genes don't produce a particular enzyme that are necessary for breaking something down that that's that is a byproduct of of cellular death and as those build up into the into the organs um, it can create unfortunately life life uh, life-threatening complications and the data they that what they had hoped to would happen would be that they could use their gene editing approach where they take these zinc finger proteins and they target them to specific spots, the DNA, make a slice, and then insert in code that would allow the, uh, the, the, the person to be able to now produce those enzymes. Um, their hope was that that would be an effective approach. However, the data that they reported for that therapy um, fell short. There, were, there, were no, there was no evidence of um, a, a restoration of uh, the production of the enzyme that's missing, which I'll call IDUA is the abbreviation for that missing enzyme. Yeah, and overall in five of the six patients that were enrolled in this study, uh, the enzyme activity and those sugar levels, which is basically what they're trying to reduce that causes that organ damage you mentioned, they barely changed in the 24 weeks following administration of Sangamo's therapy. There was a bright spot, though. There was one subject, uh, subject six, did see some temporary improvement in enzyme and those complex sugar levels. And I think that's why there's still some, you know, albeit tempered expectations about the future of this drug. Um, The patient was one of two subjects to receive the highest tested dose. And so I think what you are seeing now is Sangamo trying to figure out a way forward. So I know that they will be moving forward with uh, testing the highest dose in a few more patients. Um, They're also going to be analyzing the liver biopsy tissue to see if there's any evidence whatsoever of successful gene editing. And uh, also, too, in the pipeline, they've got a second-generation therapy in the works. Could be in the clinic this year and uh, maybe can boost some efficacy, hopefully a lot more than what we saw with this particular study. Yeah, I think proof has to be in the pudding at this point for Sangamo and investors considering it. Um, Until I see real evidence in more advanced clinical trials. It's very hard for me to come up with, um, to recommend this stock to anything but the most aggressive investors. This MPS1 failure comes on the heels of a failure last fall in MPS2, which is kind of a cousin-like disorder. Again, an inability to produce a different enzyme that's also necessary for breaking down those those, uh, gags. Um, that are released during cell death. And I think that, you know, following the MPS 2 last fall failure, the MPS 1 failure this that just happened, you know, I think investors just really should put this on a wait and see. Um, uh, that's how they should approach this stock. It's just hard to come up with, uh, as exciting as the prospect is for gene editing, it's hard to come up with a rationale for going out there and, and picking up the stock. I totally agree. Certainly not encouraging uh, for a company that's been around as long as Sangamo Therapeutics has. But like you said, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Ultimately, though, you've got the zinc finger approach. You've got CRISPR. You've got over 6,000 genetic disorders that could be treated. So certainly not a shortage of opportunity here. Um, But, you know, just in terms of the field itself, a lot left to be desired. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Moving on, we're going to take a quick break and get a word from our friends at Audible. Uh, Before we do, I will make mention, you've probably heard some strange sounds in the background. I promise 
Todd and I and Dan are not being attacked by any means, but it's just some construction happening in the building. So please don't send us emails because you hear the noise. We hear it too. It's loud. But first, a quick word from our friends at Audible. Power Moves by New York Times bestselling author Adam Grant is available on Audible, and you can get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash full power. That's all one word. Or text full power to 500-500. In Power Moves, Adam interviews two dozen major CEOs and leaders to talk about how power is changing today and the best ways to use it effectively. In this book, I personally love how Adam Grant captures how different power structures can actually influence and shape an organization. All very important factors to consider when you're assessing culture and management for companies you're investing in. Power Moves by Adam Grant is available now on Audible. Get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash full power or text full power, all one word, to 500-500. All right, Todd, we are back. So to round out the show, we actually have some good news. That's a rarity, right, in biopharma. No, I'm kidding. There's plenty of good news to go around, but we cannot close the show on a down note. So the good news actually comes by the way of a tiny company called Evolus, that's ticker symbol E-O-L-S, um, that's actually making moves into allergen space and specifically for the billion-dollar blockbuster drug Botox. Todd, what can you tell us about Botox? Do you think their drug could actually be a formidable foe? This is a fascinating story and really, really glad that you brought this up for a topic for this week's show because I was not familiar with this small cap company, uh, Evolus. Um, Symbol there, E-O-L-S, market cap, 792 million, relatively small company. But it's a, it's a really fascinating story. So, you know, most people who are aware of Allergan are aware uh, of their top selling drug, Botox. Or if they're not aware of Allergan, you should know, hey, guess what? Botox is made by Allergan. Um, Botox is very widely used um, for cosmetic procedures, removing the frown lines, if you will, in people's forehead. And it rakes in, you know, billions of dollars a year across multiple indications. And what's fascinating about Evelis is that its leadership is packed with ex-allergen people. And the, the ability for them to get an FDA approval recently for this new drug, and Shannon, how do you think you pronounce this? Juvo. Is it Juvo? Juvo. Juvo. Very French. Yes, beautiful yes. Beautiful sounding name for beautiful people. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <clears throat> and what's fascinating about this is that, you know, they think that now that they have the FDA approval, they'll be able to launch this um, alternative at a discounted price. And that within the next two years, they'll be able to be the second most commonly prescribed for this indication, removing frown lines. And that could represent, if they're, if they're right, that could represent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in annual sales for the company. Yeah. So this is, like you said, such an interesting story. Um, so just going back in terms of the history, um, the company Evelis actually got a complete response letter, a CRL, from the FDA just last year, and it was due to manufacturing issues. Um, thankfully, they, the company was able to get those 
corrected, received approval last week. And so now, as you mentioned, they are aiming for uh, spring. But what's so interesting to me is that, number one, they're not actually going after many of the medical indications that Allergan's Botox also has. So you're talking things like migraine. You're talking things about like overactive bladder. They're purely going after just the aesthetic market, which is interesting. They're also going after millennials, which I also think is interesting. We had uh, some debate here in the office among fools about whether or not you would take a biosimilar, substitute it for Botox as a millennial, and be fine with it because you're getting a discount. It was pretty divided, Todd, which I was I was kind of shocked. Um, so we'll have to see how this plays out. Um, but what I do know is that Allergan is certainly not resting on its laurels here. I mean, this is really a, a multi-billion dollar drug for them. And so they're talking about ramping up their sales force. They're talking about really aggressively even beefing up their direct-to-consumer advertising. And they also filed a complaint um, to actually block the import of this drug. So, Todd, a lot going on here. I never thought in this show, at least, we'd be talking about the wrinkle wars. But apparently it's 2019 (laughs) and it's here. Yeah, I think that a lot of it's going to come down to, okay, so as part of the launch strategy, they're actually going to re- roll out um, more data from um, trials that, that you know, involving this drug, including head-to-head data against Botox. And I, th- I think that there's very likely that they're going to show that they have a non-inferiority um, to Botox based upon data that they already reported from a a study um, that backed an approval in Canada. They're also launching in Canada this year, that drug. Um, Europe is also on the table, by the way. They're um, going to, they're hoping to get approval for that within the next six months. So I think that, Shannon, to go back to what you're saying before, would people use this instead of Botox? Because been Botox is long history. You know, if they show non-inferiority and they're able to market that, maybe. Maybe you know you've their their CEO is formerly the senior vice president of U.S. medical aesthetics at Allergan, and you know he was in charge of all of those brands, including um, Botox. So you know you know all the players, you know all the people who are using it, you know all of the the centers that would be you know providing this. And you mentioned earlier one of the things that's interesting about this is they're not going after the therapeutic benefits. Uh, part of the market, you know, that represents, you know, a lot of the, the elegant sales, Botox sales. And that gives them a lot more flexibility, Shannon, to market directly to consumers, to wine and dine the physicians that would be prescribing, because they're not going to be held to some of the same standards, because they're not going to be selling a drug that's reimbursed by the federal government, i.e. Medicaid or Medicare. It's all going to be self-pay market. So that gives them a lot more flexibility when it comes to marketing and pricing this drug. And, you know, I just went back and I looked at some numbers. If you look at the market specifically that they're tar- targeting, it's $1.2 billion, okay, a year right now and growing. Of that $1.2 billion, Botox has about a 70% market share. So you're talking about 700 to $800 million of the $3.6 billion in Botox revenue that's kind of being challenged here by this. So formidable foe, yeah, but you know, I, you know, I think it's probably what we probably end up seeing is you'll see um, a relatively slow launch. And then as the marketing efforts ramp up, maybe you're carving away 
a couple hundred million, 300 million, and then 400 million worth of sales uh, to really challenge Allergan. Um, but it's certainly not going to derail, if you will, Botox. Yeah, I think you can safely say put a wrinkle in Allergan's Botox revenues is the best way to describe it, Todd. But uh, to your point, too, I mean, it, granted, this is a uh, close competitor. It's a biosimilar. Um, but you also have, you know, competition just from other anti-wrinkle injections that are already on the market. And then Revance Therapeutics is also developing uh, a potential therapy that could have a longer effect in treating wrinkles. So I think especially over the next couple of years, the space is going to become much more crowded. So how much of a dent they'll put in terms of Allergan's top line, we'll have to wait and see. Um, But really interesting story, and uh, welcome to the Wrinkle Wars. All right, guys, thanks so much for taking the time to tune in and listen this week. Um, As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Dan Boyd for Todd Campbell. I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on. 